Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 152 of the Box Hard Podcast. I am your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as always, by the elusive, the infamous, the very tricky man himself, Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. Let's dive straight into the review part of the show. There's quite a lot to go over. We're going to start at the Tractor Sport Palace in Russia. One fight to mention over, or two fights actually to mention over here. We have former world champion Denis Lebedev. He picked up win number 31. He's got two losses also. It was a KO in the third round against Hizni Altunkaya. Again, that is a guy that fought Bebu Shumanov um, a few weeks back for the regular WBA um, cruiserweight title. So, yeah, that is um, a back-to-back loss there for Alton Kaya, a man with a very padded record, 30-3 and three now. Denis Lebedev, 31-2. and two. Uh, Moving up to the main event, though, Zor Abdullayev, a young, um, undefeated prospect from Russia. He had a few decent names on his resume. He now moves to double-figure wins. He's 10-0. and 0. He successfully defended his WBC silver lightweight title against friend of the show, Henry Hank Lundy. 29-7 and 7 now with one draw. Very, very tough loss for him. I know he was gutted to fly all the way from Philadelphia to, um, to this place in Russia called Chelabenskig. Or something like that. Chelyabinsk, I think it's called. Um, so, yeah, very, very tough for him. Um, a, a real nice guy. Um, I'd like to see him in a couple of big fights, really, domestically. I think there's a few prospects coming through that he could test, if not beat. And um, I think, you know, there's some some exciting fights for him down the line. But it is a very, very tough loss to go on the road and lose. Like I say, it was a unanimous decision over 12 rounds. From what I've heard, it was quite a close fight, though. So all the very best to Hank Lundy. Honestly, one of the most... Um, one of the most eccentric characters that we've had on the show always a very good interview uh, interview when we have him on um, that's it for Russia though moving over now to the Val Sports Arena in Cardiff Wales United Kingdom a couple of fights to mention here this one was an MTK show we had Liam Williams he got in the ring um, with Craig Nicholson who, who was actually a late replacement Craig Nicholson was KO'd in two rounds um, apparently the second round actually included a long 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 delay because the top rope in the ring actually snapped, so they needed to repair it and then put it back together kind of thing, and then they continued the round. But even still, Craig Nicholson could not get through that second round, and he was KO'd, like I say. Um, it was it was actually a body shot. It was a left hand to the body from Liam Williams. His record now 18-2 and two with one draw. Craig Nicholson 4-3 and three with one draw. Craig Evans was on the undercard. He moved to 18-2 and two with two draws. He outpointed Jordan Ellison over six rounds. Um, there was a, actually um, a delay in the final round in this fight as well because the opponent, Jordan Ellison, his right glove had to be changed because um, he somehow managed to get a hole in the thumb of the glove. So a few bizarre things happened on this show here. Um, Cody Davies, nothing nothing 
bizarre about this one. He moved to 7-0, and a TKO in round two against Jev Genic Andrevs, who now has a record of 10-99 and with three draws. Again, um, not a man that gets stopped too often, if I'm not mistaken. So Cody Davies done really well to get the stoppage there. Um, aside from that, that was... Well, there was one other thing that we should mention. In one of the undercard fights, one guy was, was floored twice in the fifth round. And the fight was waved off immediately because the medical team had to jump in the ring and give a guy oxygen um, before taking him away in an ambulance. So a few, um, a few, you know, crazy things happened here. All the very best to that man I mentioned there. His name was Jules, or his name is Jules Phillips, two and twenty-one now. Um, that's really it for that one. Moving over now to the Bendigo Stadium in Victoria, Australia. A couple of fights to mention over here. We had the son of former world champion Costa Zoo. We have Tim Tazu. He moved to 11 and 0. He actually took on a guy called Marcos Cornejo, who had a record of 19 and 3. Of his 19 wins, 18 came by knockout. I thought that this could have a little bit Amir Khan, Breedis Prescott written all over it, especially the coincidence that Amir Khan was fighting the same evening. I thought, you know what, this could be a real banana skin. But Tim Tazu knocked his man out in the very, very first round. So what a win that is. A first round TKO. Tim Tazu, like I say, 11-0. and 0, Perfect record. He was in there with a puncher and he didn't need to take a shot. But the main event here, Andrew Maloney, 17-0, and 0, a prospect, obviously the twin brother of Jason Maloney, who's being entered into the World Boxing Super Series. But Andrew here defended successfully his WBA Oceana Super Flyweight title against former world champion and former opponent of Cal Yafai, Luis Concepcion. 37-7 and 7 him now. It was a TKO in the 10th and final round. Very nice win there for Andrew Maloney. Very, very impressive, actually, to get Conception out of there. That was good for him. 18-0, and 0, a gut check that he's come through there. Moving over now to Zagreb in Croatia. Uh, we have one fight to mention over here. Olympic bronze medalist Filip Hergovic. He moved to 6-0. and 0. He also picked up the vacant WBC international heavyweight title against... Um, I want to say a bit of a veteran, I suppose you could say. He's, he's, I think he's 47 or 48 years of age. Amir Mansour, 23 and two now, 23 and three with one draw, a KO in the third round. Hergovic certainly showing us he is the real deal there to get a knockout of Amir Mansour. And this one was the big one, well, one of the big ones because I'm forgetting that the real big one, in my opinion, happened over in the states. But this one was the big one certainly from a UK standpoint. It happened at the Arena Birmingham in West Midlands, United Kingdom. Let's start with the undercard here. Kez Ashfak moved to 3-0, a KO in the very first round against a guy who was 0-1 called Gary Austin. Um, Lewis Ritson picked up win number 17. That's 17-0 now. He's got a big fight for the European title coming up against Patera, so it was really just a keep-busy thing for him. A third-round KO against Oscar Amador. Um, the fight itself, though, I mean, Amador did actually come and give it a go, especially as soon as the first bell went. He really tried to put the pressure on Lewis Ritson. The referee actually stopped the action five times in the first round, along with a couple of words that he shouted at, at Amador. And he was just telling Amador off constantly. He just could not get off his case. It's like the referee just wanted to be on TV so bad. It was really annoying. And, um, you know, he was telling off Amador for low blows and then he was letting Ritson land his own low blows and he wasn't saying anything. Um, the knockout like I say came in the third round um, it was it was called a body shot but to me it looked like a temple shot and you know 
Amador didn't want to carry on at all. I'd actually call it a quit, to be honest, even though the guy came to give it a go. But one thing that I did notice, about two seconds before the finish, Ritson made a cross with his arms. It was like a West Ham X-style cross of arms. And it was either his way of saying, stay down when I'm about to hit you, or saying this is over and it seriously was so uh, a good little finish there for Lewis Ritson big things for him very much in the near future also Gamal Yafai got a knockout in round seven against Brian Marina who had a record of 10 and one with one draw uh, that's that's a brilliant win there for Gamal Yafai 16 and one now Ryan Kelly moved to 12 and one he picked up the win against Kelsey Ball who was nine and oh undefeated now nine and one it was a TKO in the very first round for Ryan Kelly that's really Kelsey Ball's first step up and he got absolutely obliterated there that one was for the Midlands area super welterweight title talking of super welterweights though I as Sam Eggington 23 and 4 he was in there against a late replacement Hassan Mwakinyo. It was a serious um, homecoming kind of um, showcase fight, really, for Sam Eggington, I'm guessing, before he moved on to big things. You were saying it to me as well, Ayaz. The Brandon Rios fight could happen really soon for Sam Eggington. No way, Jose, after that performance. Absolutely shocking to see what happened there, Ayaz. What did you make of that one? What can I say? It was a very shocking fight. Um... Yeah, like I said to you last week, I mean, um, when I heard Sam Eggington, I was like, yes, I mean, I'm, it's Sam Eggington's home, hometown of Birmingham in a big crowd, and I thought the fans were going to get behind him, but he got knocked out. Um, obviously, it was a very bad fight for him as well. I don't know where he goes from me. I thought, personally, I thought if he won this fight, he would have fought Brandon Rios. I think Brandon Rios, if Brandon Rios fought him, I still reckon Brandon's would have beaten him, but um, where does Sam Eggington go from here? I'm not quite sure what to, where he goes. Let's just note a couple of things here. Um... It was a late-notice opponent. Eggington was much, much, much bigger in terms of stature and size. Um, Eggington, we're being told, had trouble making 147. He comfortably can make the 154 weight limit, so there's no excuse about the weight. Eggington was much more experienced than this guy, and Eggington is even the older guy. I mean, he's he's slightly older than this guy here. This guy was a young fighter with a very limited amateur career, if any. And um, Eggington's usually used to fighting guys that have much more experience than this guy. And this guy actually hadn't beaten anybody of note at all. And this guy had also been knocked out once himself. Eggington had never been stopped in his four losses. And boom, just like that. Um, also, another thing, this guy... Um, he actually had another fight scheduled for a later date. So if he got knocked out or he lost to Eggington, then he probably wouldn't have been able to make that date. I guess he simply couldn't afford to lose. Credit to the guy, though. Um, the fight itself, I mean, in the first round, Eggington was probably winning the round until he, you know, until the last sort of 10 or so seconds where he got caught a few times. And for some reason, he drops his hands when he's being hit. Almost some kind of bravado, I want to break your heart kind of thing. And I remember he did it against Paulie Malinaji with a few seconds left in the round, and it was quite stupid from him. And he admitted it at the time. He said, I think he said it to me on this show, he said it was quite stupid of me. And, um, you know, he shouldn't do that. Um, obviously, he knows that. And, you know, to just sit there and start giving away free shots on the chin, they do take their toll. They always do. So he did that. So there was a few little shaky seconds in the last few seconds of that first round. And in the second round, Eggington got caught quite early. 
and he he did block a good amount of shots to be honest he showed a bit of decent defense but he did get hit again and again and again because this guy was just unloading everything he was throwing the kitchen sink at Eggington and it did end up taking its toll and the referee needed to jump in before Eggington got put to sleep really I think the referee saved Eggington um, from being probably a few seconds away from being on a highlight reel in terms of being knocked out it was really one-sided and this guy here Hassan Mwakinyo 11 and 2 as I say brought in for late notice brought in to completely beat the hell out of and it's gone awfully wrong for Sam Eggington and it just goes to show I guess I as what can happen if your eye is not on the prize and um, you know you're, you're looking over guys to, to, to take on future opponents like we say Brandon Rios there was a lot of talk about that fight no way is that now going to be happening. Um, so, yeah, very gutted for Sam Eggington. A friend of the show, of course. And, you know, we wish him all the very best. A lovely, lovely guy. Great story behind him. And um, it's very gutting, to be honest, that this has happened the way it's happened. He's lost four fights before. He'd never been stopped. And this is the first loss by a knockout. And this guy really shouldn't have been able to get near him. So, Sam Eggington now 23-5. and five. Hassan Mwakinyo 12-2. and two. Scott Fitzgerald, 10-0, took on Craig Morris, 10-1 with one draw. It ended up being a TKO in the 10th and final round. Morris was TKO'd with a left hand um, in the in the final 45, I think, seconds or whatever. But the fight itself, I mean, Fitzgerald was very, very fortunate to get the knockout. Both guys were tired as hell. No complaint by Morris, though. Um... It was a shame, really, because there was there was only, like I said, about 45 seconds or so to go. And it was a real, real, real close fight at that stage. Um, the referee didn't really show any hesitation. I felt it was a little bit harsh. I mean, you know, there's a few people that have been reacting to this on social media saying they should have really given the guy a count, seeing as it was the final round, seeing as it was such a close fight, seeing as there was only about 40 seconds left in the round. But it was what it was. Um, Scott Fitzgerald... I mean, I think he showed a few weaknesses there, and Anthony Fowler was a keen observer in attendance there, and obviously that fight between those guys is something that looks to be inevitable, and I definitely have to favour Fowler um, on that performance there. But moving up the card once again, Jason Wellborn, 23-6, and took on Tommy Langford, 20-2. and It was a rematch for the British middleweight title. It ended up being a split decision over 12 rounds. Langford was down late in the first round. And he was also down in the third round. But once again, a very close fight. And, you know, it was a great fight the first time round. But this fight here, I mean, I only saw the two knockdowns and the final round. Both of them were absolutely finished in the last round. They almost stopped each other multiple times. They completely emptied their tanks. And it's been proven now, unfortunately, that Langford doesn't have a great chin. Um, this wasn't a fluke. He shared 24 rounds with Jason Wellborn now, and he's come up short twice. And I know that some boxers have bogeymen, and you know they lose to guys that they perhaps shouldn't, but that usually happens at a much higher level for guys that really do have true potential to go on to world honours. Um, he's been dropped three times in total now across two fights by Jason Wellborn, who isn't a big puncher. And to get dropped early in both of those fights means that it wasn't even down to 
being tired or anything like that. He simply couldn't take the shots from Wellbourne. And I think it's over now for Tommy Langford, unfortunately, at European level and world title level for sure, which he was once upon a time closing in on at one stage, which seems really mad. Um, you know, you can't lose like this and become a world champion. I'm sorry. Um, Tommy Langford's a nice guy. He's been on the show, but he is in a very, very bad place right now. He needs to change something urgently. Uh, it was close, though, on the cards, and I didn't see the fight in its entirety, so it may have been much closer than what I've made it out to be, but a guy like Langford should be schooling Wellborn if he's as good as we once thought he was. But credit to Wellborn. You've got to take nothing away from this guy. He's, he's certainly had many, many ups and downs, to say the least, and to actually come back, win a British title from a champion, rip it away from them, have a fantastic fight with them, you know, get the nod, even though you were a massive underdog, and then have the rematch to prove it's not a fluke and drop the guy twice. That is a real, real thing there. And he showed a lot of character there, Jason Wellborn. So a very worthy British champion. His record now 24-6. and six. Tommy Langford, not quite sure where he goes from here. 20-3. and three. All the very best to both men there. And the main event here, Amir Khan, 32-4, and four, stepped in against Sammy Vargas, 29-3 and three, with two draws. Vargas was down in the second round and he was also down in the third Khan was also down in the second round though very very shaky performance I has never do we ever see Amir Khan in a fight that's boring he's always in exciting fights sometimes it's a bad thing for his part though um, you know he's got the vulnerability he always has it in every single fight unfortunately so not fantastic if you're a big Amir Khan fan but you know for those that like to see a good fight he always provides that what did you make of it it wasn't the best performance as Amir Khan. I'll tell you why. Uh, the reason is Amir Khan didn't take him that. Amir Khan didn't take this fight very seriously. Why? Because he's looking past him because he wanted a big fight between the Pacquiao's and the Kell Brooks. Now, this is the thing. In the fight, yeah, Amir Khan dropped him. Then he got... Uh, Sammy Vargas dropped him. And then he got... And then Amir Khan dropped him again. It reminded me of the flat... It reminded me of the time when Amir Khan fought Julio Diaz and uh, when he came first came back to Sheffield to fight. Uh, back to England after a long time when... Uh, Julio Diaz dropped him in the 11th round. He used his hand speed and that. You can tell he's still got the speed. But um, th with this fight, I personally think Amir Khan did good. But um, um, it was a very, it was okay performance. But the thing is, now that Amir Khan's won this fight, he's chasing that fight against Pacquiao again. I personally wouldn't chase that Pacquiao fight. Now, I know facing Manny Pacquiao is a very big thing. Obviously, he's a he's a, a eight-division world champion. He's a legend in the sport. He's a Hall of Famer of the future. Now... I personally wouldn't chase that Pacquiao fight once again because Khan's been chasing it in the past and he's been let down. Obviously, he wants to fight Pacquiao in December if Pacquiao doesn't fight him. Personally, I'll go for the Kell Brook fight. I think it's a bigger fight in the UK. It'll make more money and and or it's, it's a fight for the British fans that they won't forget. Obviously, we don't, we don't want it to be like another cost, um, uh, Ricky Hatton versus Junior Witter. Obviously, the reason we shouldn't go for the Pacquiao fight is because he's going to be waiting a long, long time again. So, what I personally do, I personally go for the Kell Brook fight. Yeah, I mean, you know, with what you said there, as just in regards to what you said there, I think that I still think that the Brook fight's always going to be there for Khan, unfortunately. Even though Eddie Hearn says if it doesn't happen next, then it will not happen. I'm not quite sure if I believe that. I still think that it's always going to be there. Even if he lost to Pacquiao, if he was to beat Pacquiao, then of course it'd make it bigger. So I think even though he probably should take the Brook fight, I mean, if it really is true about about if he doesn't take it now, then it won't be there, then of course, yeah, the Brook fight, I'd guess, probably generates more money. But if it's always going to be there, then I'd say that... Really and truly, he should probably take the Pacquiao fight and then win, lose, or draw. The Brook one is there to fall back on. 
But yeah, the fight itself, I mean, it was an exciting fight, as always, like I say, with Khan, you know, blistering hand speed. He's, he was certainly working a lot with his left hand, which I did like to see. Um, you know, he showed a fantastic, fantastic jab, very, very quick hooks. And like we say, he dropped Vargas in that second round with a lovely, lovely combination. I don't really think he, he actually hurt Vargas too badly, but he overwhelmed him and he knocked him over. So a fair knockdown. And then, of course, Khan, with about four or five seconds to go in that same round, he walks in, Vargas falls short with a jab and follows up with an overhand right over the top. Down goes Khan. Um, you know, to Khan's credit, he didn't look too badly shaken. He can recover frighteningly quickly, actually, from a knockdown. But once again, I mean, he proved that you just never know what's going to happen when Khan is in the ring. Um, you know, Khan scored a knockdown, like I say, in the third round, which I didn't actually agree with. I felt it was a bit of a shot in the back of the head, really. But it is what it is. Um, it didn't matter too much. Khan did demonstrate a very a very spiteful, beautiful and speedy jab um, throughout the fight. It looked as good as ever. Definitely, I'd, I'd, I'd probably say that was something to do with Joe Goosen. Um, some people say that watching Khan is, is, you know, is always exciting, and it is true, but for Khan fans, it's the most nerve-wracking thing imaginable. I mean, I'm a massive Amir Khan fan. I do love Amir, but for the whole fight, I was sitting there biting my nails. But it has to be said, Vargas wasn't a massive puncher, and anyone with a solid punch, I believe, would take Amir Khan out. I think that Brooke would stop him. I think that Manny Pacquiao probably would too. And, you know, it's, it's hard to say that because I think Khan is such a brilliant fighter, but the chin is such a is such a weakness that, you know, it kind of overrules everything, really. It's just, it, you know, it can all come undone with one shot for Amir Khan all too often. Um, in the 10th round, Khan was tiring visibly and he was actually... He was actually having a fairly good round until he got caught with a big shot on the chin and his legs buckled. But to be fair, it did look like his foot kind of got caught under him a little bit. Um, it was crazy to think, I as that two of the Sky Sports pundits, I think it was Matthew Macklin and Johnny Nelson, one of them said a Khan knockout within three or four rounds and the other one said a Khan knockout within six rounds. That was their predictions. We both predicted points, though, I as, and we're not paid by Sky. But in the early parts of the fight, um, Khan's judge of distance was pretty good. But as I say, he, he tired late on. He couldn't judge the distance too well, and he was constantly on the back foot while Vargas was piling on the pressure. The thing is, he you know he scores a lot of slapping shots when he throws combinations, and he's very hard to outpoint. So I had it very wide for Khan, um, even though Vargas did well in spurts and... You know, you just can't deal with Khan's work rate when he's really on his job. But one note on Joe Goosen, he was urging Khan to be more aggressive and to go to the center of the ring, which was actually scary advice, really, especially in the final round. He was telling him to do that. And I thought it was quite risky at that point because Khan was obviously leading very wide on the cards. But yeah, very tough fight for Khan and certainly more mileage on that Khan clock, unfortunately. Um, he's got to be very careful with his next couple fights. I think he should probably have um, maybe one or two more, then call it a day, Ayaz. Would you agree with that? Um, I personally think, yes, that's I... Well, I think, personally, by end of 2019, I think, yes. I think Pacquiao uh, fight, and then I'd probably say the Brook fight, and then that's it for me. That's what But I then think. again, if the Pacquiao fight don't happen, where will he go from here? Another world title? Well, I mean, if the Pacquiao... Well, Pac- what do you mean? If the Pacquiao fight didn't Doesn't. happen next... Yes, because well, there's I a lot of people saying that he doesn't, he, um, he, if he doesn't fight Brook next, where does, and Pacquiao doesn't fight, where does he go from here? Cause well, he'd, he'd, he'd fight Brook, though, wouldn't he? He'd fight Brook. I don't think so, personally. I think Sean Porter, I, 
You know, try to go for Sean Porter, but I think Sean Porter beat him. I oh, think be... honestly, Sean Porter is all wrong for Amir Khan. That honestly, I don't even want to see that. Sean Porter would chew Amir Khan out and you know Keith chew Fer- him up and spit him out. Keith Furman would beat him. Oh my gosh! Yeah, Errol Spencer would be Errol Spencer would beat him. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. I think Khan has only got two options. I think it's Kel Brook or Manny Pacquiao. There is one more fight, which is a big fight for him. I personally think. Don't say Danny Garcia. Yes, he's just come off a loss. But then again, um, that's the, probably the big name fight for him. Well, that's what Danny Gar—that's what Danny Garcia should be chasing because yes. you know Khan's coming off a big win. Um, you know he's coming off a loss. I think that Danny Garcia should want that fight. But realistically, I mean, what what has Khan got to 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 gain? Really, I don't think it's a massive money fight, and he probably probably gets stopped again. So, you know, unless you just want to avenge a defeat for ego purposes. I think I don't think that that fight's right for him. I think if if Danny Garcia would was to have beaten Sean Porter, then yeah, I think it's it's three options for Khan. It's Pacquiao, it's Danny Garcia, or it's Kell Brook. But with with Garcia losing, I think now it's just between Pacquiao and Brook, in my opinion. But yeah, either way, um, you know his his next fight, I'm guessing, should probably be against one of those names that we've mentioned there. If not, then I'll be quite unhappy with that, to be honest. Um, that's really it for that one though. Moving over now to the forum in Inglewood, California. A couple fights to mention over here. This was the super flyweight card. I didn't watch it though, unfortunately. So if there were any cracking contests, let us know and we shall watch them back. We had Kazuto Ioka. He fought for the WBC silver super flyweight title against McWilliams Arroyo. I believe it was Ioka's belt. It ended up being a unanimous decision over 10 rounds in favor of Ioka. Arroyo was down in the third round and he was also cut in the 10th and final round there. Like I say, that one was for the silver super flyweight title. Also on the bill, Donny Nietes, 41-1 with four draws, fought for the vacant WBO world super flyweight title against Aston Palikte. It ended up being a split draw over 12 rounds. Donny Nietes, another draw for him. That's his fifth draw now. And the main event, if I'm not mistaken, Juan Francisco Estrada. He picked up win number 37. He's got three losses. It was a win against Felipe Orocuta, who now has a record of 36-5. and five. A unanimous decision over 12 rounds there for Estrada. Moving over now to the Barclays Center, though. The big one, in my opinion, it happened over in Brooklyn, New York couple fights to mention on the undercard before we get on to the main event. We have Amanda Serrano. She picked up the vacant WBO World Female Super Lightweight title, I believe. She's now a six-division world champion. Now, forget about women's boxing and men's boxing. She is the only woman to have done that. And she joins a list of only three people, including herself now, who's managed to win a world title in six different weight classes. Manny Pacquiao, of course, on that list for winning eight. We also have Oscar De La Hoya on the list, and it's now Amanda Serrano. So she certainly goes into the history books there. Her record, 35-1 and one with one draw. A brilliant fight could get made for her and Katie Taylor um, if, if, if Katie Taylor is able to beat Amanda Serrano's sister, Cindy Serrano. I think that fight happens next month. I think it's October 20th, if I'm not mistaken. 
Um, but yeah, the win was unanimous over 10 rounds against Yamilo Reynoso, who now has a record of 11-5 and with three draws. We saw Adam Kalnaki, 17-0, move to 18-0, a unanimous decision over 10 rounds against Charles Martin, former IBF heavyweight world champion. His record now 25-2 and with one draw. We actually did the predictions on this. In fact, let, let me rewind a little bit there. We've done the predictions on a couple fights. Um... We all went with Tommy Langford to win on points. We all got that very wrong. Uh, well, not very wrong. It was still a split decision. We all went with Khan. Sorry, no. You you and me, Ayers, went with Khan on points. The listeners went with Khan by knockout. So me and you, Ayers, gained a point there. And um, this Martin and Kalnaki fight, I went with Martin by knockout. I was being a little bit, um, a little bit daring, I guess. You went with... Um, Martin to win on points. I thought that that actually almost happened. It was a very, very good fight, that one, especially in the later part of the fight. And um, the listeners went with Kalnaki to win by knockout. We didn't gain a point there, any of us, because Kalnaki won on points. But the actual fight itself, Kalnaki was just... I mean, it's the first time I've proper, proper sat down and watched him. I mean, I've seen a couple of, of his fights before, but actually sat down and studied... Um, you know, he was just plodding forward in the first round. Very, very clumsy. He was on the front foot, though, and he was probably getting the better shots off, but he definitely took a fair few shots early on as well. It was a close first round. Um, I probably edged it to him. Um, Charles seemed to have more to his game, but he was reacting the worst out of the two. When they were trading, um, Prince Charles Martin was actually reacting quite badly to the shots. He was really being moved back, and his shots were seeming to not really budge Kalnaki to be honest Um, both men were not in great shape Martin was not fighting well on the inside he wasn't using his distance he wasn't using his reach and I certainly gave the first two rounds to Kalnaki Martin was throwing a lot of arm punches as well he wasn't really punching through the target Um, he was however Martin going to the body early which I thought was very important at that stage and it paid off a little bit towards the end I guess um it was a better round for Martin in the third round. Very untidy heavyweight fight, though. Lots of smothering. The speed was certainly with Kalnaki. Martin was having a hard time, like I say, moving Kalnaki back with any of his shots. Kalnaki seemed to be able to walk through everything. Um, he also didn't really look like a big puncher, actually, Charles Martin, which is quite surprising, really. Kalnaki wasn't taking a step back, and in the sixth round, the fight really did heat up. Both fighters were having big moments. I'd struggle to give Martin a round for the first six rounds, really. Really, even though the rounds were, or well, some of them were close, some of them were competitive. And Martin, like I say, he was constantly going to the body of Kalnaki. He was certainly trying to put those, um, or put those punches in the bank for later on in the fight, it seemed. In the seventh and eighth rounds, Kalnaki was really slowing down and his work rate dropped noticeably. Martin did then start landing um, good power punches more frequently. He started to come on strong. Kalnaki had a bloodied nose in the ninth round, but like I said, it was only a 10-round fight. Martin was taken over at that point, but with only one round to go into that 10th round, um, Kalnaki, I think his other eye started to swell in the 10th, if I'm not mistaken. But honestly, the last minute or so of that fight, Charles Martin was all over Kalnaki. And honestly, I think if there were 30 more seconds in the round, Martin was going to knock Kalnaki out. Kalnaki was absolutely done. Fantastic final round, though. Lots and lots of momentum switches. Martin certainly, certainly finished the stronger, though. It just seemed to take too long to get off 
you know, in the in the in the early part of the fight, he gave away too many rounds before he started coming on strong. And like I say, when they both were going for it in the later part of the fight, Martin seemed to be a level above. But, um, you know, he started too late and that was it. But I didn't score the fight, but I felt like it was kind of like a 97-93 type fight in favour of Kaunaki. I think the judges, or one or two of them, agreed with that scorecard. So it was what it was. A good win there for Kaunaki. 18-0. Charles Martin, back to the drawing board for him. Also on the bill, Dennis Ugas picked up win number 23. He's got three losses also. It was a win over... Cesar Baranuevo, who has a record now of 34 and 4 with two draws, a unanimous decision over 12 rounds. Ugas looked unbelievable, by the way. Real, real, real impressive. But the main event, though, Danny Garcia, 34 and 1, former welterweight WBC world champion. He was in there to win his belt back. Of course, it was vacant. And in the other corner, the former IBF welterweight world champion, Mr. Sean Porter, 28 and 2 with one draw. I'll tell you a fun fact, I have. Sean Porter fought and beat Alexander Usyk in the amateurs. Just think about that for a second. Absolutely bizarre. Sean Porter managed to win the fight unanimously over 12 rounds. Um, A very, very good fight, by the way. A few cracking rounds. The first round, I felt that the first round was was quite a close round. I think Garcia probably landed the only telling shot of that round. It happened in the last two or three seconds. It was a right hand. Um, in the second round, I was very surprised at that point already to see Porter staying on the outside. He was, you know, he was giving Danny Garcia a lot of space and he was trying to box from a distance. And I just felt it was the wrong game plan for him to try and, to try and put out really, um, Garcia certainly won that round with the cleaner shots. In the third round, Garcia was starting to make Sean Porter miss a lot. Porter was actually starting to look a little bit frustrated in that third. In the fourth round, that was where Porter definitely won the round. He seemed to bother Garcia with his power for the first time in the fight. And it was a nice lead left hook from Porter especially. He kept getting that shot off. In the fifth round... Garcia boxed really smart. He won that round. Sean Porter was still staying on the outside for too long. You know, this was in the fifth round. Right? We're, we're really approaching the midway point, and, and Sean Porter, I felt, needed to change his tactics. In the sixth round, it was a very close round. It was difficult to score. I'd probably edge it to Sean Porter, though. In the seventh, it was a very, very good round for Porter. He was jumping in and out. His left hooks were hitting Garcia's body at will. Um, his wild overhand rights were really nice, and also a couple of headbutts here in there from Sean Porter as well. You know how he likes to get down. It was starting to get quite rough. It was starting to turn into Porter's type of fight at that moment. Angel Garcia was going absolutely crazy at Danny in the corner. A real nice seventh round there for Sean Porter. In the eighth round, Porter started, like I say, once again turning it into his type of fight. Finally, he was starting to you know, to do what he does, to, to use his roughhouse tactics to get on his man's chest and not fight from a distance. He was fighting up close. He was jumping in from unusual angles. He was putting the pressure on Garcia and he was fighting at a tempo which Garcia didn't like. I had it 4-4 after eight rounds. Porter won four of the last five rounds at that point. I think it was the uh, the fourth round, the Sixth round, seventh and eighth. I think that's how I had it. Um, Going into the ninth round, it was a close round, but I actually felt that Garcia probably got back to his boxing and he landed the cleaner of the exchanges. I had it 5-4 to Danny. In the tenth round, I um, definitely would say that that was the round of the fight, to be honest. I felt that Porter won the round. It was a close round, but in the last 30 seconds, I felt that Porter did enough to steal the round. 
Um, as soon as the 10-second the, the clapper went, he let his hands go. He probably knew it was a close round, and he wanted to steal it, which, in my opinion, he did. So I had it 5-5 five, five going into the last two rounds. The 11th was a very, very close round, possibly a 10-10. But if I had to side with someone, then I'd probably give it to Porter. Um, so on my card, I needed Garcia to, to win the 12th to have it a draw. And in that 12th, once again, it was a very close round. I felt that Garcia probably did just edge it. Um, so I hate to say so, but I actually had it a draw after 12. Garcia, in that last round, made sure that he left it all in the ring. He certainly emptied his tank. When it went to the judges' scorecards, it ended up being a unanimous decision for Sean Porter. I'm happy about that. He was the underdog. Um, you know, he, he's due a bit of luck, really. Um, Danny Garcia's had far too many very, very close fights go his way. Um, so, you know, I felt that Porter was due some luck. And Danny Garcia, where does he go from here? There's many, many fights for him. He's only lost to Sean Porter on points and Keith Furman on points. He's got a fantastic chin. And to be honest, I would like to see him in there with any of the guys. I think you could make a real a real um, mix at that weight, really. I think Danny Garcia against Errol Spence would even be a good fight. Um, you know, I, I do rate Garcia. I wanted him to lose. I wanted Sean Porter to win. I also predicted a points win for Sean Porter on last week's show. There was no way anyone was going to get knocked out. That you know that 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 was just quite clear to me. Um, yeah, I think Danny Garcia gives anyone a good fight. I'd even like to see perhaps him and Crawford. I think that'd be a great fight. We you know we 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 didn't get to see it at 140, which I think would have been nice. I think that Danny Garcia moved up a little bit too soon, but at 147, it would probably um, be a cracking fight also, so I'd like to see Danny Garcia in with anybody, really. Um, but yeah, I was really happy, because on the Prediction League, I gained two points this week. I, as you, went with um, with Garcia to win on points, so did the listeners. So the listeners gained zero points this week. I, as, gained one, and I gained two. That is what I need, a little bit more encouragement for, for me to try to take over i'm still in third place and i've been in in that position for a long long time now um but yeah that's really it for the reviewing just before we wrap up part one the last thing to do is to welcome our very first undefeated guest ladies and gentlemen please welcome the former two-time champion of the world he's tall he's black he's handsome it's of course mr demetrius andrade welcome welcome yo 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 how you doing thanks hey. for having me on on today it's my pleasure, sir. It truly is. First things first, um, Demetrius. Eddie Hearn, I've noticed he calls you Andrade. I've always called you Andrade. Who's saying it right? <laughs> yeah, Andrade's good. You know, I mean, I've been getting that mixed up because of people's nationality uh, and the pronunciation of the nationality that they are. So it's, as long as you, as long as you, as long as you say tall, black, and handsome, and you put that name to me, it's all good. <laughs> Okay, okay. Eddie Hearn needs to change the way he's saying it. <laughs> but yeah, Demetrius, we, we last spoke just a couple of days after your last fight, actually, against Alontis Fox. A long time ago now, almost a year ago, um, nothing really inside of the ring has happened since then, only outside of the ring. You've now signed with Eddie Hearn's Matchroom USA. How did the whole thing come about, Demetrius? Uh, you know, um, <clears throat> me and my me and my, my partner, Ed Favis, you know, we, we had a, enough of, you know, the inactivity and the stuff that was going on in my career with the promoters that we had. And we, you know, we made the decision to like, you know, buy him out and whatever it is that we had to do to get him out, out our way and out our, out our life, man, that's pretty much what we did. And we got the job done. And then we just end up, you know, shopping around and letting people know we was a free agent from, from that point on. 
And you know, Eddie, Eddie's Eddie's young, hungry, and he's trying to make a make a big statement in in, in boxing and make his mark in a, in a promotional world. And I'm pretty much trying to do the same thing. And he's gonna and he's continuing to show and and improve. And that's somebody that um you know showed showed me what he's capable of doing. You know, on an international platform, and he can bring that international platform in the USA, and I can be able to you know, fight international and, and domestic in the USA. I mean, that's, that's, that's two birds in one stone. So, you know, it was um, definitely, I think, the best option for me to go with. And I I saw the DAZN announcement when all of Eddie's new signings were revealed. You were there on the stage. You were taking the mic. You were showing the people your personality. Now, I know your personality, Demetrius, and I've always felt that something was holding you back from fulfilling your potential, from being a superstar, really. And not many boxers have great personalities. You do. You must believe Matchroom USA and DAZN are the people to take your career and worldwide recognition to that next level. Yeah, definitely. You know, they um can put me like I said, international, um, USA, you know, and and show people what they've been missing on, and that is my charisma and the characters that I have and personality that comes with, uh, with me, you know. And so with Mastroom and, and and what they're trying to do and you know the the machine they have behind them, I mean it's a perfect fit fit for me, and I know they're going to be dedicated and focus on you know. On, on me because, you know, this is something new. You know, I know they got other fighters and, you know, other potential superstars, but to really kick kick things off with, why not kick it off with Demetrius Andrade fighting October 20th for the middleweight championship of the world, one of the best cards he has for the zone right now. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, it's a great matchup for at the 160 weight division. Like, this, now the elite is starting to fight the elite. You know, this is my second time fighting at the 160 weight division, but I'm still a character that is that can, you know, be pound for pound. So Absolutely. here we are. Absolutely. And most importantly of all, like I say, or like you say, you're back in the ring. The date you mentioned there, October 20th in Boston. Uh, the last time you fought for a world title, obviously you had to go on the road to Germany. Now, despite Billy Joe Saunders being the champion, you've got the pulling power to bring him over to your backyard now. How happy are you that the fight's taking place in the United States? Oh, man, I'm, I'm very excited that, you know, Boston is pretty much my backyard. You know, thirty minutes away from Rhode Island, and to have the you know home home field advantage finally, and to be able to fight in my backyard. It's been a long time ever ever since I turned pro to fight back home. So, yeah, it's been, I'm very excited. You know, um, I'm more excited about getting back in the ring. And you know, this fight could have been anywhere in the U.S., but I'm glad it's here. And I'm, I'm I'm ready to rumble, you know. I'm, it's, it's it's time for people to you know recognize what they've been missing. And Demetrius, what do you know about Billy Joe Saunders? I'm guessing you must have seen that Lemieux fight. Have you watched any others? Yeah, I watch. Um, you know, I watched when he fought Monroe, Willie Monroe. I watched when he fought David Lemieux. You know, um, I I definitely what like. I am a fan, not like a fan, but I do like Billy Joe as a fighter. He's he he's a good boxer, you know. He's a he's a fun guy to watch as well. And now moving up to the weight class, now we have to fight each other. May the best man win. But you know, I'm coming out with the victory. But um, is 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 
it's it's fun though. It's a fun it's a fun matchup when you look at it because you know we we're going to have to tangle. Like we can't just box for we can't run around the ring for 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 the whole fight. And you know I'm I'm a you know a guy that can do a lot of things. So I'm looking to you know get him to you know get in the ring and let's and let's tangle a little bit instead of you know him trying to box all the all over the place. But I'm fast enough and skillful enough, skillful enough to shut that down anyway. So eventually it's going to be we're going to have to be in the middle of the ring. Now. I want to ask you, are you anticipating that this will be the toughest fight of your career thus far? And I want to kind of turn this into two questions in one. Um, obviously, it's one day, I, I believe, I think last time you fought was the 21st of October last year. So just one day from being a whole year outside the ring. You know, could that be a problem for being out so long? You know, young, black, and handsome, I'm going to be the best shape of my life. You know, that's not going to stop me or, or mentally put me and a freeze you know i'm i'm always active in the gym you know i don't i don't take months off and stuff like that and you know at the end of the day is i'm plus i'm you know i'm taking care of myself you know my my body is still healthy you know my mind is good i don't take punishment and i don't need to you know i don't need i could have went i could have went and did the tune-up thing and, and you know, for maybe two tune-up fights before I fought anybody real, but you know, I've been in, I've been in this boxing game for way too long to have to go that route. And I'm glad this opportunity came up when it came up, and the time it was perfect. So I'm ready to roll. You know, I'm just I'm ready to go. Once we get in there, you know, the cobwebs and all that other stuff, however they want to call it, ring rust. I don't think that's going to be a problem. And Billy Joe Saunders in the past. I know that's been... not going to be a problem. That's the spirit. That's the spirit. Now, Billy Joe Saunders in the past has been fairly disrespectful to some of his opponents. However, he's been pretty respectful of you so far. He even went on to say, um, or went on to, to go as far as saying that the winner of this fight is the true number one fighter in the middleweight division. Some people disagree with that statement, though. Um, what do you make of that? Is he right? I mean, yeah, you know, um, he don't want to buck up the wrong tree, should I say. So... You know he he's definitely a smart guy. You know I'm not I'm not none of the other guys that he fought. Um, you know we we are one of the best, and 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 not just this weight class, but you know I was the best at 154, and I couldn't get all the fights that I was looking to get. But now I moved up in at 160, and now I'm starting to tangle with the guys at 160, and now things are going to be able to happen, and we're going to see really who the best is because you know yeah, Billy Joe has been avoided in the past. And I also have been avoiding in the past. I even tried to fight Triple G um, when that Canelo drug use um, came upon us. And that didn't happen. He went and fought a guy that I beat when he was 33 and 0, Ronis Monrosian. So that goes to show the, the type of um, moves that these people are making to try to secure, you know, um, their record or big money fights and, and not wanting to fight the best when it's like, you know, somebody like me and Billy Joe, we want to fight the best. We want to get in there. And, you know, we understand, I understand, like, you know, popularity is one thing, but, you know, fighting the, fighting the best and claiming you're the best is another thing, you know. So um, right now, that's what that's what we're on. We're on who's the best and the popularity is going to happen. This is going to be the fight to make me a superstar. Absolutely. And, and for me, and, and, and once I come out with that belt, the only thing, the only names 
that get mentioned around me. If I have to fight other fighters just to, you know, stay active. But the only fight, Triple G, Canelo, and the winner out of Dan Jacob and, and Devin Chanko. Those are the type of names after I, I, I beat Billy Joe Saunders is the type of people you compare me to and want me to get in the ring with. Very exciting, because my next question was going to be that I'd, I'd imagine now that you're both signed with Eddie, that the Daniel Jacobs fight would be a quite easy fight to make. Obviously, at the moment, you're on different pathways, but I was going to ask you, is there anything stopping that fight from happening? It sounds like no. You know, me and Danny Jacobs, you know, we grew up in the amateurs. We had fought each other. You know, at the end of the day, it's a business. And if that happens, where well, we have to clash because it's a business then, you know, may the best man win. That's what we have to do. And, you know, I, I think win, lose, or draw, we both are going to go home happy. And you say you fought in the amateurs. I wasn't aware of that. Who came out on top? Was it just the one fight? Yeah, we fought We fought one time uh, in the USA Opens um, a long time ago. So, I, you know, I have we have been in the ring together, yes. And um, it's your boy. <laughs> your boy came on top. <laughs> just Andre. What can I say? And obviously, we're, we're not too many days away now from Triple G versus Canelo 2. Who wins and who do you want to win? Because I remember you made a hilarious video back at the time when that whole Canelo thing happened, and that was just, that had me dying, man. That was hilarious. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's I mean, that just definitely was a funny little thing I did, but it sucked at the same time because it's like, yo, they should have they made an example of. Canelo, you know, he's he's one of the most popular fighters out there, you know, he's one of the most paid fighters out there right now, so therefore, that being said, he can get real time off the boxing world and get a fine if that was the case and make an example of because, like I said, he made plenty of money um, and we don't know how long he's been on drugs for because he, he's been caught um, multiple times in this one case and it sucks that he only got six months suspension, and now he's fighting again. That doesn't that doesn't like say if somebody's off drugs or not. Because at the end of the day, you're never on drugs when you're in the ring. You're off it anyway because you get the benefits of it if you really know what the the how to how to use the steroid. And it sucks. And honestly, I honestly don't care who wins. It just I'm kind of turned off from the fact that this this is this this is happening all because of the money. Yeah. When you got fighters out there like me, Billy Joe Saunders, and other people that haven't, you know, that are clean, that haven't got the the, the opportunity to fight, you know, the big names because, you know, they're the most avoided and, you know, the popularity that comes with it right now, you know, we're still working on that. And it just, it just sucks. Yeah, he's a... It is a very unfortunate situation. I think a lot of people out there want Triple G to win purely because of this whole shady business that, you know, um, Canelo seems like he's been kind of cooking up for a while. Um, coming down to, the, like I said, the last couple of questions, Demetrius, how do you become the new WBO champion of the world October 20th? Does the fight go the distance? Do you outbox him? Do you stop him? How do you see it? Well, October 20th, tune in, get your seat, get your popcorn, get the zone, the the... the at and watch your boy going to work and you're going to see how Dr. Andre, you know, you know, um, put the surgery together on, on your boy Billy Joe. And finally, Demetrius, obviously you've got a big fan base here in the UK. A lot of people know who you are. What is your message to your supporters over here that want to see you come out victorious that night? 
uh, after I whooped Billy Joe's ass, I would love to get in there, get out there in front of you and, and, and fight a mandatory or, or, or pick them fight, whatever. I would definitely love to make that happen. Excellent. Listen, Demetrius, as always, it's, it's once again been my pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for your time. Best of luck for the 20th of October, and we'll catch up sometime after for sure. All right, thank you, and um, God bless, man. To everybody out there, you know what I'm saying? Uh, thank you for the support. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. Ayers, what do you have for us? Take it away. Yes, so um, Jake Ball has left Jimmy Mack and has teamed up with Dominic Ingle. Yeah, um, I hate to say it because I do like Jimmy Mack. Obviously, he was a good fighter himself, and his relationship with James DeGaulle has at times been like father and son. It's been brilliant. So I've got a lot of admiration for Jimmy Mack. However, I do have to say he has had a very rough patch over the last 18 months or so. Um, I think he's had one or two fighters walk out of his gym. Obviously, you know, James DeGaulle against Caleb Truax, the first fight. James DeGaulle looked awful that night, and Jimmy Mack got the blame for it. There was going to be a chance of James DeGaulle even leaving Jimmy Mack. Jake Ball obviously got knocked out by J.J. McDonough. That was bad news for Jimmy Mack. Um, And then, you know, most recently, if I'm not mistaken, Reese Bellotti getting knocked out. Um, and losing his his Commonwealth title, I think it was that night. So yeah, he's gone through a bit of a sticky patch lately, Jimmy Mack. But Jake Ball, you know, he's he's got a promising future. He's a hard hitting, um, tall, rangy southpaw in the light heavyweight division. There's many many fights that can be made for him, and you know that Ingle Jim's absolutely thriving at the moment. So I'm sure there's going to be lots and lots of um, fantastic sparring in house. So it can only be a good move, in my opinion. And um, all the very best to Jake Ball, a friend of the show. So. Uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens next with him. Yes, um, Frank Warren has announced an exclusive landmark multi-year broadcast partnership with ESPN and Top Rank Boxing to bring their events to America and Canada. Yes, very, very big for Frank Warren. His first show will be shown um, on, I think it's the October, yeah, it's the October 6th show. We're going to be speaking to a man that's actually going to be part of that show um, later on in the show. Sounds a little bit confusing, that. But yeah, a man that's fighting on that show we'll be speaking to later on in this podcast. So um, yeah, Frank's Frank's first show on ESPN is going to be on the 6th of October. It's brilliant for Frank Warren's stable. It's brilliant for boxing fans. Alexander Usyk has signed a promotional deal with Matchroom Boxing. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's, he's, he's still involved with his promoters. I think it's very much like a co-promotional type kind of deal. Um, you know, Alexander Usyk, you'd be led to believe, wants to fight two men. And those men are Tony Bellew and Anthony Joshua. That's what we're being led to believe. So, you know, those two guys are both with Matram. I think signing with Eddie was probably a good move to get those fights made. It will be much easier to do. Um, you know, he's showing his intent there, Usyk. And if the Bellew fight gets made, then then it's probably going to be because of this. So it would look like he's he's certainly wanting to fight Bellew next. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that gets announced very, very soon. John O'Carroll has signed a promotional deal with Matchroom Boxing. Yeah, John O'Carroll, undefeated boxer on the on the come up. He's been involved in a couple of Twitter spats recently with um, with Tevin Farmer mostly. So um, so he's a promising fighter, very good fighter, and he's he's very much improved. I think over the last sort of twelve months, he's come on leaps and bounds. He's beat a few good fighters along the way, and he's got a very exciting future. So to be with Eddie Hearn at this stage of his career can only be a good thing for him. On October the sixth. Nicola Adams will be fighting for the interim WBO world title. 
Yeah, she takes on former world title challenger Isabel Milan. Uh, that one's going to be on that October 6th show that I just mentioned a moment ago that's going to be shown on ESPN as well as... Um, as well as, if I'm not mistaken, on, on um, I think it's on BT Sport, actually, not Box Nation. So, uh, yeah, big things for, for Nicola Adams there. Um, fantastic for her to get a shot, you know, even though it's an interim title. Fantastic for her to get that. And I think if she wins this, then um, she's going to be fighting the champion very, very soon. So great stuff for her. Finally, on October the 13th, uh, Terence Wolford will face Jose Benavides for the WBO World Title. Yes, Terence Crawford makes a defense in his hometown of Omaha, Nebraska. Like you said there, against Jose Benavidez Jr., that's the brother of David Benavidez, the super middleweight WBC world champion. So Jose Benavidez is an undefeated fighter. He's had a lot of back and forth with Terence Crawford over the years, and I'm sure he's very happy to finally get this fight made. So a big, big chance for Jose Benavidez Jr. He looked fantastic in his last fight. I think he knocked the guy out in the first round. And um, this is his chance to prove to the world that he is as good as what he says he is. And um, I'm certainly looking forward to that one, actually. Not too long to go. I'm hoping both men have had you know, the right amount of time to prepare. I hope that they knew about this fight and it hasn't just been sprung on in the last week or so, which was when it got announced. So, um, yeah, good fight. I'm looking forward to it. And that's it for the news. Okay, thank you very much, Ayaz. Moving over now to the preview part of the show. We're going to start at the Save Mart Arena in Fresno, California. We have top in the bill, Jose Carlos Ramirez. He's the WBC World Super Lightweight Champion. His record, 22-0. and 0. He was supposed to take on Danny O'Connor. Do you remember that a couple months ago when Danny O'Connor collapsed after the weigh-in because he absolutely killed himself? Um, well, yeah, that fight obviously fell through. But in steps, Antonio Orozco, 27-0. and 0. A very, very good fight, this one. Orozco, um, very much a prospect on the up. But this is a huge test for him, I believe. Jose Ramirez has that world title um, kind of experience. I think he's beaten the better fighters, really. It's a close fight, actually. A real intriguing contest there. And that one's tomorrow night, by the way. Um, also on the bill, we have friend of the show, Jamel Herring, 17-2. and two. He looks to move to win number 18. He fights for the vacant USBA Super Featherweight title against John Moraldi, whose record is 20-1. and one. Decent fight to him. That's a great, great fight there. All the very best to Jamel Herring, former US soldier, a man that's been to, um, to Iraq on two different occasions, I believe, two different trips. A very brave human being there. Um, moving over now to the Friedrich Ebert Hall in Germany. One fight to mention over, or two fights to mention over here. Vincent Feigenbutz, 28-2, and two, takes on Yusuf Kangwell, who has a record of 16-2 and two with one draw. That's a 12-rounder there, no belt on the line. But the main event, Avni Yildirim, former opponent of Chris Eubank Jr., his record 20-1, and one, that one loss to Chris Eubank Jr., he... Defends his WBC International Super Middleweight title against Lalenga Mock, 42-14 and 14 with one draw. Former opponent of David Hay. I remember Lalenga Mock knocking David Hay down once upon a time. That one will be pretty crazy to think he's at Super Middleweight. Um, that is a 12-rounder, like I say. Moving over now, though, to the big one. There really is only one big one this weekend. Saul Canelo Alvarez, I as top in the bill. It's going to be on HBO pay-per-view. It's going to be on BT Sport pay-per-view. 49-1 and with two draws, Alvarez. He takes on Gennady Triple G Golovkin. 38-0 and with one draw. It's for the IBO, it's for the WBA Super, and it's for the WBC World Middleweight title. 
I also believe there's another nice strap on the line though. Um, a special strap for that occasion. A fantastic fight, Ayaz. All I want to say is I don't want to see a draw. I just want to see a brilliant fight. The first fight had so much to it. Lots and lots of thrills. I'm hoping this one's going to be very much the same. Yes, I think it'll be a very, very good fight. I mean, uh, I firstly think we're going to see a new Canelo. Now, obviously, he's been banned because of the clan brutal thing, which we found, we found drugs inside him because of the meat. I personally think we're not, I personally think like the last Canelo we saw was really big and powerful. I don't think it's going to be that same Canelo. I think it's going to be a very different Canelo. Um, obviously, um, I personally think the last fight, I personally think Golovkin got robbed. The judging was completely wrong. And in my opinion, obviously, because of that, the fight came to a draw. But I think, I think in this fight, I think Golovkin's winning this. And how do you see it? Do you see Golovkin winning on points or by stoppage? I see this fight, um, Golovkin winning on points. Golovkin points, okay. I, as you've gone with Golovkin points. Um... The listeners have gone with Golovkin by knockout, actually. 53% going with that. Golovkin on points, 24%. 17% for Canelo on points and 6% for Canelo by knockout. I agree. No no way will Canelo stop Golovkin. I'll be really shocked. Um, I want to make a couple points here. Obviously, you know, since, um, since Canelo's not accidentally consumed some contaminated meat, he has looked a lot more slender. He looks to not be as broad as he was last time. He looks a little bit drawn. Um, You know, he just doesn't look as big. Simple as that. So I'm intrigued because some people are saying, well, he looks a lot, you know, a lot slimmer. That means that he'll be able to move more and he'll be faster and stuff like that. We're not too sure about that. But one thing that I'd say is a dead certain is the fact that because he's not as big, will he have the punch resistance that he had in the first fight against Triple G? That is something that we're yet to see. It's all very intriguing. Um, I think that Golovkin is on the slide. I think that we all kind of know that, even though we, we, we really hope that that's not the case, especially for this fight. We want to see Golovkin crowned the rightful winner. He should have won last time. We all know that. Um... I just think that Canelo is a guy that is very, very clever. He's a fantastic boxer with a brilliant, brilliant ring IQ. I think he's, I don't want to say he's so much improving, but I think he's, it's it's, it's difficult to kind of find where his prime is because he started so early on. He fought, you know, he fought Floyd Mayweather. Then he had a few fantastic wins after that and he looked really good. In the first fight against Golovkin, he fought well, but he clearly lost in my opinion. I can't say it with any certainty, but I just think that he's going to come back a little bit more improved, Canelo. And I think that Golovkin's got a little bit older. And I just think that... Oh, it pains me to say it, but I think... I think Canelo on points. I hope I'm wrong. I really, really hope I'm wrong. I hope that Golovkin wins the fight, but I think I'm going to have to go with Canelo on points. Because it was relatively close-ish. Um... I say that I say that, but I want to also add to that that you know Golovkin clearly won, but I think it was like an eight-four kind of fight. So a couple rounds the other way would have had it a draw, you know. So it was a competitive fight is the right word in rather than close. And I just think that with Golovkin slipping a little bit and Canelo improving possibly, the whole Clembuterol thing is a huge factor in this fight, and it's gonna you know it's gonna prove to us the difference really because we should see an improved Canelo we should see a slightly possibly a slightly improved Golovkin or perhaps a little bit you know a little bit of one that slipped a tiny little bit but Canelo should certainly improve from that last fight with or without this this stuff in his system so intrigue 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 
but I think I'm going to go with Canelo on points and I just hope I'm wrong I really do um, I really do seriously I hope Golovkin wins but I'm going to go Canelo on points like I say the listeners going with Golovkin by knockout you're going with Golovkin on points which I think is a fantastic choice um, moving down the undercard, David Lemieux has 39 and 4 takes on Gary Spike O'Sullivan 28 and 2. It's a 12 round contest, not a 10 rounder. Um, the listeners are favouring Gary Spike O'Sullivan quite big here. They've gone O'Sullivan to win by knockout 73%, Lemieux 14%, very much less, and no one in their right mind thinks that this fight's going to actually go the full distance. I mean, Spike O'Sullivan obviously is going up uh, his final toughness. But if I'm going to go with a win, I'm going to go with David Lemieux to win by knockout. David Lemieux by knockout. Because I still Do think you know he's what? a threat. Yeah, I mean... I don't think his boxing ability is fantastic. I do think that he can absolutely crack. And like I've said before, if you actually look at Spike O'Sullivan's resume, um, you know, he's knocked out a couple of decent guys, but no one on David Lemieux's level. And to be completely honest, aside from Billy Joe Saunders and aside from Chris Eubank Jr., which are, you know, which are Spike O'Sullivan's two big names on his resume, he's lost to both of those guys. Aside from those guys, he hasn't fought anybody or, 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 you know, or knocked anyone out or beat anybody on the level of David Lemieux. So when you actually look about it and you look to see who Spike has knocked out, nobody near this level. David Lemieux, whatever you think about him, whether he's over the hill, whether he's not that good, whether he's one-dimensional, whether he's limited, he has got that equalizer in his right hand. And to be honest, he's done it on a much higher level than Spike O'Sullivan. So it pains me to say it, but I think I'm going to have to go with Lemieux by knockout. But once again, I really, really hope that Spike wins. Um, did you say Lemieux by knockout as well, Ayaz, or did you say points? Yes, I, I said Lemieux by knockout. By knockout, okay, yeah. So I have to agree. I hope that we're wrong. I hope that the listeners have got it right, because seriously, Spike, again, is one of the best guys that we've ever had on this show, and I wish him absolutely all the best. But um, it's a tough fight, and he knows it. He knows it's a tough fight, Spike. You know, we tried to get him on this show, and he hasn't been available because I know he's training his absolute nuts off. Um, and I really hope that he can win the fight because it's a brilliant fight. No way in the world can it go the distance, surely. Both men are knockout artists, and um, I, I just really hope that Gary Spike O'Sullivan does his job and, and gets the win here, and I'd love him to knock this guy out. There's been a lot of back and forth on social media, and you know Spike, as everyone knows, he's one of the most colourful boxers. He's one of the most funniest guys on social media, and I'd love to see him do it. Honestly, a great, great guy, and... Um, a fantastic fight. Really, really, really looking forward to that one. And also on that undercard, as we've got Jaime Munguia, 30-0. and 0. He defends his WBO World Super Welterweight title. Um, obviously, Munguia coming off the win against Liam Smith. He takes on Brandon Cook, the man that was supposed to take on Kel Brook a few weeks back. And obviously, that fight fell through. He was also supposed to take on Sam Eggington. That fight fell through. But he's here fighting for the WBO World title against Munguia, who, as we all know, is a real, real good fighter. So how do you see that one playing out, Mungir and Cook? Mungir versus Cook, I think. Um, I think it's to be honest. Like I don't, I'm not really heard of much about uh, Brandon Cook. Um, obviously, if I'm going to go with a win, I'm going to go Mungir with the uh, with the level of names that he's fought. So I'm going to go with uh, Mungir to win by knockout. Mungir by knockout. Yep, I'm going with that. And the listeners, um, I'm sure, have gone with that also. Let me just double check. Yes, 92% Mungir by knockout, 8% Mungir on points, 0% for Cook on points or by knockout. No one voted for Cook to win. Um, yeah, I see that as quite an easy win there for Mungir. 
should be a decent card though I'm really looking forward to it also we we almost forget to mention um, arguably a former pound for pound number one fighter Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez 46 and 2 takes on Moises Fuentes 25 and 5 with one draw if Roman Gonzalez who has been in many many um, hard fights if he has got anything left then he should beat Moises Fuentes it's a 10 round contest there but it just goes to show this man is you know he's, he's in a fight here and we've mentioned it fourth out of the other fights you know it's, it's not one of the big fights in my eyes on the bill so um, all the very best to Chocolatito he's a very likable fighter very good fighter in his day and hopefully he can get a win here um, like I say it's going to be his 49th fight so uh, hopefully he gets to 50 um, and um, perhaps calls it a day. It's not up for me to say, but he's been in a lot, a lot of fights now. Um, very underappreciated fighter for all the all the many fights that he was in. He only seemed to really get the world recognition um, during his last couple of fights before he took the loss, um, the back-to-back -back losses against Wissak Selwangek. Very unfortunate circumstances there for Chocolatito. Um, that's really it there. Moving over now to the final bill to mention. It's actually happening on Sunday, the 16th of September. Um, it's happening at the Holiday Inn in Birmingham, West Midlands. One fight to mention, Frankie Gavin, 25-3. and three. He's in a six-rounder. His opponent yet to be announced. I'm guessing that's a bit of a keep-busy fight before he takes on... Kerman Leharaga, the man that knocked out Bradley Skeet. That one is supposed to be for the European title. So Frankie Gavin to fight that guy. I think it's happening in November, if I'm not mistaken. So Frankie Gavin's taking quite a um, a risk here, actually, having that fight. Even though I think he should have took a warm-up fight probably a little while ago. But I think, you know, it's, it's a little bit risky with only about eight weeks to go till fight night. Um, so um, all the very best to Frankie Gavin, a friend of the show. His record, like I say, 25-3. and three. Hopefully he comes through that and then goes and beats Kerman Leharaga. What a fantastic year that would be for Frankie Gavin, a man that's been counted out many, many times. But that's really it for the preview, and we brought you the first guest. We brought you the news. We brought you the review and preview parts, and it's now just before we wrap up the show. It's now time to welcome our second and final undefeated guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the highly touted, undefeated super featherweight prospect, Mr. Archie Sharp. Archie, welcome back on the show, my friend. How you doing, mate? Thanks for having me back. Hey, it's always a pleasure, Arch. So we last spoke back in December. Um, it's been quite a while, actually. It was just after your win at that time against Rafael Castillo. Obviously, you've had two fights since then. Both of them have been wins, one in February, one in June. But during the time that we last spoke, this feud has ignited between yourself and fellow prospect Leon Woodstock. How did it all start, Arch? Um, basically, Lee, uh, he came around here one day asking for the uh, asking for that they spoke to Frank Warren's office. And they basically said that uh, Archie Sharp versus Leon Woodstock. So we agreed to that fight. Um, and then, yeah, I think there's just, by the sounds of it, they've been coming from the Woodstock side. They're saying that we called them out. But I think there's just been a miscommunication of their team. Basically, it got put to us by Warren. We agreed to the fight. And then, yeah, now the fight's happening. So whether we called them out or whatever, it doesn't matter because the fight's on now. Do you know what I mean? And I believe there was a time where I think you wanted to get it on on, on on a certain date and then Leon didn't want it for that date and then he wanted it on a certain date, then you wouldn't be ready for that date. Am I right in all that? Yeah, yeah that, it was a bit of back and forth. Yeah, that was happening. And then basically, the office told me that, um, I could, that they basically turned around and said to me, forget the Woodstock fight, I ain't going to happen until September. 
Um, so then I was like, right, no worries. And I flew out, I took the kids out and the missus out to Mexico. And then that was like three, four weeks before the June flight. Um, it was only an eight, scheduled for an eight pounder just to get with a tough opponent. So I went, I went out to Mexico. And then when I was out there, they, uh, yeah, they offered to fight. I said, well, training campaign, right. Do you know what I mean? Ain't the right time. It's only three weeks till the fight. You can forget about it because I asked for three or four different dates and I got told no on all of them. So, yeah, it was just a bit of back and forth. And then, yeah, that was it. But now October is here. So we both had our, both had our camps what we wanted. So there's no excuse for no man. Absolutely. Now, you said it would only happen on your terms. He said it would only happen on his terms. It was a little True. bit you know, kind of back and forth without seeing as the fight has ended up happening in Leicester. It would appear that the fight's kind of gone into his terms a little bit. <laughs> yeah, 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 you could say that. You know, they, as, um, it was supposed to happen at the uh, in September at the O2. Yeah. Um, for whatever reason, I think I, I think Billy Joe or something was supposed to be headlining the show. That never happened. And basically, I don't think the card could sell the O2 out so then they end up putting it up into Leicester so it is what it is do you know what I mean if you've got Leicester it is what it is yeah doesn't really matter rings but, my, my, when, but, but yeah exactly that and, and the area wasn't really wasn't really my problem it was the not when the fight happened that was when I won in my terms and in, in, the, in, a, in a sense it has kind of happened in my terms because I did say I wanted it when we both have a 12 10 12 week camp and that's what we've had so um, so yes, yeah, so it is what it is, isn't it? And obviously, I did try to get you both on, you know, both on the podcast at the same time, but Leon was unavailable. It's a shame, really, because um, you know it is what it is. But it would have been good to get you both on. Um, I want to ask you, Arch, what do you know about Leon as a fighter? What fights of his have you sat down and watched? Um, the total truth, I've only seen the one fight. Uh, the once when I bo- when he boxed uh, Craig Poxter, the only fight I've seen of Woodstock, um, and I w- watched that live. I haven't watched it back since. So um, I watched him box Poxter and then tell the truth. Like I say, I think he's a one-dimensional fighter. Do you know what I mean? He's a strong, fit kid. He beat over ten rounds, and that's what you just got to expect with him. But I think ability-wise, I don't think there's much there to be honest with you. And obviously, Archie, for the people that that do know you you're a very good boxer uh, you're a very dedicated athlete you travel to spar some of the best talent that the UK has to offer in and around your weight um, I don't believe you've lost a round as a professional which says a lot obviously you're a switch hitter exactly. you can punch with both hands and you attack the body really really well um, one of the boxes that hasn't been ticked just yet in the pro ranks for yourself is the heart Archie obviously you need heart to succeed as a top boxer Leon showed bun was a heart in that fight against Poxton. He passed the gut check. You haven't had to do that just yet as a pro. Um, would you agree with that? Am I being fair? Yeah, no, I totally, listen, I totally agree. Do you know what I mean? At the end of the day, I haven't, I've been put to that test. Um, but let's be honest, I could have easily been there if I just sat in the middle and just started slugging out of anyone. Do you know what I mean? So I know only German, but some of German are tough. They're tough. Um, and if you allow them to sit in the pocket and just sit there, they, they will be there with you swinging away. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm too clever for that. And if I've got to dig deep, I can dig deep. It's not a problem, do you know what I mean? I know I've got plenty of art. I've been in this game since I was seven. Do you know what I mean? I'm, uh, this is what I'm born to do. So at the end of the day, heart's not a problem. Um, but listen, we'll see. Do you know what I mean? At the end of the day, the fight's in that program. Like I say, Liam Woodstock's got a lot of art. He's got a lot of fitness. He's strong. But 
uh, at the end of the day, how, how, we'll see how strong his heart is in October at the end of the day because I'm going to put him a very, 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 very tough fight in front of him. And uh, like I said, I'm going to pick up the WBO European title in October. Now, I think in the eyes of some of the public, Archie, um, some people would favour Leon in this fight. And I think that's probably yes, yes. simply because he's been on TV um, more than you have, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I'm not I'm not sure of the official odds. I don't know if they've been released yet, but I'm intrigued to see what they are. But if you are indeed the underdog, how do you react to that? If they want to put me in the underdog, they can. At the end of the day, they just show there's more pressure on him. Do you know what I mean? If that's what they want to think, and they think that Leon Woodstock's the man, then yeah, they can think that. Do you know what I mean? At the end of the day, like I say, when we get in that ring in October, it's only me and him in that ring, and it's down to me and him. There's no one else. Do you know what I mean? And I'll show everyone why I'm the best. And I've shown frustration before with the fact that you've been kept off of TV for the majority of your fights, but you must be absolutely over the moon that your fight will now not only just be shown to a UK audience, but also the American viewers. Um, obviously, it's going, to be, it's going to be getting shown live on ESPN due to a deal that Frank Warren sealed earlier this week. Big stuff for you there, yeah. Arch. Yeah, that's great. And like I said to everyone who have done interviews with, Everyone I've done interviews with in the past, myself, um, everyone I've spoken to, I have told them that my time will come and my time is now. Um, and it's just perfect, do you know what I mean? It just goes to say, you've just got to wait for good things and this is what happens. I've been waiting patiently, good things are happening now and I'm, and I'm fighting for the WBO European title, not only on telly and BT Sport, but you say in front of the American audience. So it just goes to show that I was right Good things do come to those who wait, and I've been waiting patiently for three years. This is it. This is my time to shine. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, undoubtedly, the winner of this fight gets a nice catapult in some other big nights. Um, they can be pushed on uh, much quicker, you'd feel, than the loser here. So credit to you both for taking the fight at this stage of your careers, obviously for the WBO European, which is a nice belt. Um, but yeah, enough of that. I just want to quickly get your get your take on a couple of other fights, Arch, if you don't mind, um, that are happening in and around your weight. James Tennyson is daring to be great. A couple of weeks after your fight, he travels out to the States to fight Tevin Farmer. Do you know enough about both guys to give your opinion on that one? Um, tell you the truth, I don't know. Farmer fight a few times. I think he's a very good boxer. Um, he's clever. He's, done, he's had a couple of losses at the start. He's come back. He's done well. Um, he's a good fighter. Tennyson has showed great strength and heart against, obviously, Ward. Do I think that was the best world that we've seen? No, I don't. But in the day, he done what he had to do, and the man got the job done. Good luck, and he's going to fight for world title. So, um, my, I probably would say would back Farmer in this, but we'll see. Do you know what I mean? We'll see. Because in the day, Tennyson is a good fighter. Yeah, for sure, good fight that one. And of course, I've got to ask it's you about a big suit with everyone as well. Yeah. For sure. And of course, I have to ask you about the big one this weekend, Arch. How do you see it? Triple G and Canelo, the rematch. No draw, please. <laughs> great. Yeah, no, great fight. Great fight. I'm back in Albus for this fight. Um, it's an argument before we don't get me wrong. But, uh, I'm going to back Alvarez, yeah. I think he might outbox him, to be honest with you. You reckon points? I think points win Alvarez, yes. I do. But like I say, in the day, it's an hard fight. Do you know what I mean? They're both great fighters so I think it's just more about opinion than who you like I think yeah and any closing words from yourself now it can be a it can be a message to anybody that li that's listening it can also be a message if you like to Leon have you got anything at all to, to say just before I let you go 
Um, no, listen, I'll just say to everyone tune in on this, uh, October the 6th, you know what I mean? It's a good fight, it's a great fight. Me and Leon are putting a lot on the line. I'm putting me on beating record, I'm going to Leicester. He put in, uh, he's on beating record on the line and, and the WBO on the line. So at the end of the day, it's an attacking fight. Both of us got, um, it's a big fight both of us. And yeah, tune in and stay, stay tuned in the uh, October the 6th at Leicester. There we go, there we go. Listen, Archie, I'd like to wish you the absolute best of luck for the sick. Thank you so much for your time once again, and we'll catch up sometime after, as always. Yeah, lovely. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. Okay, and this concludes what has been episode 152 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I as Summer has been I as Summer. The biggest thanks of all goes out to you, the listeners, for making this podcast what it is. A massive thank you to our two guests on this week's show, Archie Sharp and Demetrius Andrade. That's back-to-back shows that have only featured undefeated guests, including two world champions there. The Prediction League stands at myself on 52 points, I as on 52. 54, but you, the listeners, in the lead on 55. It is very close at the moment. One piece of news has been revealed since we've been recording the show. Eddie Hearn's 27th of October Copper Box card has now been fully announced in terms of the big fights. I'm really, really, really looking forward to this card. We have Craig Richards against Jake Ball, Ted Cheeseman against Asinia Byfield, John Ryder versus the undefeated Andre Sorokin. That fight tops the bill, actually. That's a world title final eliminator go on John Ryan Doyle against Jordan Gill and finally last but not least Mr. Isaac Chamberlain against Luke the Duke Watkins what a fantastic card that is remember everybody if you do get a chance please 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 leave us a review on iTunes make sure you all have a fantastic weekend people I know that you will what a fantastic weekend of fights we have in store this week the big one the rematch remember stay safe and we shall see you all next week